2: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. I'd be one to make friends. I'm just trying to help you make some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, and put these gains in context. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me gently at jimkramer.com after a good day, where tech finally seems like it, it is out of the doghouse. <laughs> Dow climbing 228 points. S&P advancing 0.72%. NASDAQ getting 1.06%. <laughs> it's time to revisit FANG, my acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, OK, Netflix, Alphabet, a.k.a. Google. And as an ad bonus, because I'm a really great guy, I'll throw in the other big I'll throw in the other big tech name under fire, Microsoft. Let's start with Apple. In the wake of yesterday's tour de force introduction of the new iPhone and watch. Now, I'm not really qualified to judge the quality of the triple camera in the new phone. I, but to me, it looks incredible. Uh, the battery life's uh, longer, uh, one hour to four hours, depending on your new model. Cheaper price than expected. You also get Apple Plus, their new streaming service, for free with purchase of $4, $4.99 per month value. Now, I've looked at some of what they're developing for the video platform, and even though I think that it was almost universally poo-pooed, i got to tell you, uh, over time, I think you're going to think it's essential watching. And it's less than half the price of Netflix. I like that entertainment revenue stream very much. I love the one the new watches only cost uh, $199. I think that's the price point. The price point, I should emphasize, to get worldwide adoption for this thing, which will only layer on still more service revenue. I have so many. Th- I have fantasy football in this thing. Every time one of my guys scores, it's like, bingo, could be explosive. Like when a version of the iPod hit that uh, level, the uh, $199, that's when it took off. What will the Tim Cook haters say when that happens, given that the watch is all on him and so many love it? The upshot. You have a razor razor blade story that sells at just 17.5 times next year's earnings estimates with 5G in the way and that rapidly growing service revenue stream to tide you over through these different iPhone iterations. I think the stock is absurdly cheap. Hey, compare that to Coca-Cola, or Clorox, Procter & Gamble, which all trade around 24 times earnings. I'll take Apple stock any day of the week. Next up, Facebook. With all of the heat that Amazon's been taking for the Federal Trade Commission, Alphabet's been taken from those 48 states Attorney General, Any weakness in Facebook feels more like collateral damage than what we're used to, which is this company being the sole scofflaw in Washington's crosshairs. You need to be careful when you think about Facebook these days. Politicians on both sides of the aisle dislike them. Most of the media can't stand them. Hey, But you know who never abandoned Facebook through this whole kerfuffle? The only people who mattered. The customers, the users, you. I bet if you went back and looked at all those high-profile quitters, most of them are back on the platform. You can't afford not to be. When you see those terrific camera options for the new iPhone, you know what What you should be thinking? Well, that's about getting the best possible photos for Instagram. Uh, And that belongs to Facebook. When you see really smart people like Michael Rubin come on CNBC, he's the incredibly talented owner of the Fanatics. That's a multi-billion dollar digital sports apparel retailer. He said, listen, he puts half of his ad dollars on Google and half of them on Instagram. Well, now you know where the world's going. I think we've seen the high tide in the era of Facebook evisceration. It survived. More than that, it's thriving. I'm thinking it's the beginning, people beginning to recognize how many entrepreneurs have used Instagram to create their own businesses. They are ambassadors for Instagram. I bet there's an opportunity there. Facebook, call me a size buyer. How about Alphabet? Yep, yeah, 48 states attorney general going after these guys for monopol- monopolistic practices. I don't know. I mean, Do you know that the FTC spent two full years investigating Google under President Obama? Everything. Millions of pages of documents and the commissioners ultimately decided not to bring a case. The thing is, Google has dramatically lowered the cost of advertising for everyone. That's not any competitive people. So I suspect this latest move will also go nowhere with the stock trading at 22 times next year's earnings. I mean, give me a break. Buy it. Netflix. All right, this one's tough. Well, I don't think there's any one straw that could break this camel's back, we're getting so many services now, including at Disney, Hulu, Apple, that we may have reached the point of saturation, even for millennials. As much as I love Netflix, as much as I binge endlessly, I'm worried about this stock. I just don't know how to value it anymore now that there's so much competition, and I'm uncomfortable gaming the number of new sign-ups versus the content, given how the company itself has been completely unable to predict the sign-ups with the even most remote precision. I've always liked Netflix because I believe in the subscription economy, and I know I'd pay more for their service if they asked me to. I just don't know if that's still true of everyone else. Call me baffled. Next up, Amazon. It's got some weirdo image problem right now. The Democratic leadership seems to determine that Amazon stifling innovation and stamping out competition needs to be broken up. The Republican in the White House hates them. Maybe it's because CEO Jeff Bezos also owns the Critical Washington Post. But more than 100 million people belong to Amazon Prime. And from a business perspective, a stock perspective, that's what matters. Not long ago, we had Andy Jassy on the show. He was, gee, he was great. He's was the head of Amazon Web Services. What did he talk about? How about how his division has brought about relentless price decreases, price cuts in the cloud infrastructure space. Something that's been a source of empowerment for millions of small businesses. That doesn't sound any competitive to me. How about you? Unless you view it as predatory pricing against Amazon's cloud infrastructure competitors? Please. I know there are people who believe, who truly do believe, that Amazon is stifling innovation. But I think that's dead wrong. Amazon facilitates innovation. Where would we be without these guys? Also, this company has been the single most powerful force for deflation in America. They've done more to keep prices down than any other company in history, including, by the way, Walmart. Now, do they run roughshod over the competition? Well, that's another question. But I like the stock, and I remind you that Carolyn Brode and the Fibonacci Queen told us this last week, the technicals say it's time to buy Amazon. I checked with her today. She still says that I agree with her. Finally, it's Microsoft. Boy, it's this the least controversial one. Here's a company that was at one point completely in the crosshairs of the Justice Department, justifiably, as they were legitimately stifling innovation and competition. Now, Microsoft's an innovator, and now it's a competitor that's done amazing things at PCs and uh, analytics, gaming, cloud. It's the dominant software company on Earth, and it's been performing spectacularly. I think the stock is a trillion-dollar bargain. Yes, even at these levels. Let's take one step back for a second. Talk about innovation. Hardly did it goes by since President Trump was elected that we don't hear negative things about what China's done to hurt American interests. Whether we're talking intellectual property theft or the subsidized destruction of our manufacturing base, it's all true. Despite all of this, you know what keeps this country in the game? What makes it so the United States is still the largest economy on Earth? It's our great technology businesses, chiefly Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, Facebook, and Microsoft. You don't get to be that big if you're a bunch of boneheads. You get to be that big usually because you're the best at what you do or at the very least because you provide a valuable service for your customers that could be destroyed by breaking the companies up, making it more expensive to use. You don't need me to tell you that these companies are politically unpopular. You do not need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. But here's the bottom line. I believe if you put these big tech companies to a vote, if you had them on the ballot as to whether or not they should be broken up, I bet they'd come out ahead of any politician, or any newspaper for that matter. And that's yet just another reason why their stocks are still worth owning. Loved companies ultimately spawn loved stocks, even if the old media-led critics and the politicians hate them. Reggie in Florida. Reggie. Booyah! I like that. Booyah, Reggie!
1: you Jim. First time caller. Uh, With all the volatility in the market, what are your thoughts on Nokia and OK as a 5G play?
2: Uh, Poorly run. Uh, Can't be backed. Even the Europeans don't want to back it, which is really saying something. They got to get their house in order. It's not. Bruce in New York. Bruce. Hey, Jim, you're the best, Jim. You are the man. Thank you very much. I've owned Church and Dwight stock for a long time, and it's been really good to me. Uh, periodically, I do my research, and I read whatever's available about the company. I very rarely find anything negative about them. Um, recently, Spruce Point Capital came out claiming um, accounting gimmicks were used to inflate earnings. Um, should I totally ignore that, since they're short sellers? I, I Well, look, some short sellers actually do very quality work, and, and Occasionally, they actually upend the bad stuff. But I got to tell you something. I think Church and Dwight is one heck of a great company. Always welcome on the show. And I think you should hold on to it. All right. Big tech can't seem to catch a break. It seems to be under fire every single day. But I'm telling you not to bail on this cohort. Oh, and like these people who say that Tim Cook should be fired, they're, they're boneheads. I just like that because the president, yeah, I call them sparkies, I call them sunshiners. Instead, use the declines in the stocks to pick up their shares at a discount. Except for hold off on Netflix. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Well, man, tonight, you thought my fantasy stock draft was over, and you think again. I'm searching the waiver wire for potential bargains for this bull market fantasy. Then on pins and needles, when it comes to an investment in Pinterest, I'm telling you why the company could be worth considering. And we've seen plenty of down and out retail stocks come roar back lately. But are all worth giving a second chance? I'll give you my take. Stay with Craig.
1: NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving.
2: Time to search the waiver wire. That's some authentic fantasy football gibberish that means trying to pick up some Bargains. Players not signed by other teams that have turned out to be interesting prospects. Or maybe they've been cast off and they shouldn't have been. It's a time-honored tradition, especially in a game where wide receivers get banged up pretty regularly. And as you can see from your screen, that's been the case both in the NFL and in stocks since football season began. Hey, even tight ends are starting to go down. So let's go hunting for some new wide outs and tight ends to augment your lineup. I'm liking some that we picked last week. Uh, Wow, Okta, ServiceNow, Salesforce.com. Especially since they've spent days getting hammered as part of this market-wide rotation. Although Salesforce bounced nicely today, I think the rest are about to have a bit of a run. But how about some new wide receivers for our fantasy stock football team? Some ones that have been left behind. Let's start with Starbucks. This one's been down out, <coughs> excuse me. This one's been down and out ever since management allegedly guided down numbers last week. Now I have parsed every single word that they said at that Goldman Sachs conference where all this came out. And you know what? I come back with this. The company's operating income growth model is intact. The issues that brought the stock down last week were below the line, and they were tax related largely. I know CEO Kevin Johnson took some heat. For not disclosing the stuff when he was on mad money recently. Oh, give me a break. It was purely a bookkeeping matter. What, what really is important is the growth rate was left unchanged. What about that Securities and Exchange Commission issue with the SEC questioning their accounting practices, a story that pulverized the stock yesterday? Look, you know, there were, there were 200 other companies that were flagged. It was a routine inquiry about an industry. Only Starbucks made the headlines. This non-story also hurt others in the restaurant industry, including Chipotle and McDonald's. But it was a nothing burger, plain and simple, which is why all three of them started rebounding today. For our second new wide receiver, you know what? I'm going like, to go with VMware. Yeah, yeah. I think Sanjay Poonen, the chief operating officer, I think made a ton of sense when he came here last night on this show. And he talked about how the company's recent acquisitions, which I was questionable about, pivotal for containers and carbon black for cybersecurity, would be great additions. Now I have been skeptical, given the pivotal seemed to be a cast off from VMware's parent company, Dell. But but Putin changed my mind. I also believe the Dell CrowdStrike relationship will be severely crimped by the carbon black deal. No wonder VMware rallied more than a buck today after jumping five bucks yesterday. Wow! Finally, after parsing all the comments we heard from the last week from. Doug Merritt. He's the CEO of Splunk. I believe you're getting a chance to buy that one at an incredible bargain. Splunk's a premier data analytics play that helps the clients harvest actionable insights from machine data. Hey, listen, that's the garbage of the digital world. Oh, and in a world where Salesforce.com was willing to buy Tableau software, I think if this thing just stays here, Splunk could make a lot of sense as a takeover target, because big data has such a bright future. Splunk's for real and this stock market's acting like it's fake. Two other potential waiver wire grabs, Shopify and Chipotle. Shopify, which helps small and medium-sized businesses build out an e-commerce presence, just made a terrific acquisition to make it even better for them. They shelled out $4 to $50 million for Six River. It's a fulfillment expert that can give Shopify customers the ability to deliver to offer delivery that rivals Amazon's. put the stock's in a downtrend. It's now given up 70 straight points, and who knows when it will find a bottom. Maybe that happened today. Stock was up a quick 10 bucks. As for Chipotle, When you're the number one performer in the S&P 500 and you hit a wall for no good reason other than rotation, oh, it's bound to scare people, who then go on to foment reasons for the decline. But there aren't any. Chipotle's just been too hot in a market where Wendy's gets hit on starting up a breakfast and McDonald's gets hit because it competes against Wendy's. Oh, and of course, they also got caught up in that so-called SEC comment inquiry, the same inaccurate story that caused Starbucks' stock to get slammed. Not only is there nothing wrong at Chipotle, its business seems to be accelerating. Thanks to new menu items and very effective advertising. Look, when you get a chance to buy the best of the best down almost 10%, that's like stashing a wide receiver over a bye week. I know it can still go lower, but Chipotle's one of those crazy stocks that actually gets cheaper as it goes down, just like the rest of these waiver wire gems. Stick with Craig.
0: When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: When we have a rotation. When money managers swap out of one type of stock and then swap into another, you can't try to get ahead of them. That's a sucker's game. You no, know, if a bunch of hedge funds want to abandon all the high quality turbocharged growth stocks en masse, you smile, you take the other side of the trade when you think it's kind of died down. Today that rotation already started to get rolled back, but there's still some terrific buying opportunities if you know where to look. Opportunities like a stock I haven't talked about lately, opportunities like Pinterest. Yeah, the virtual pin uh, board platform slash social media network that came public in April. Let me tell you something. After following these guys for the last five months, it dawned on me. Pictures could be the big winner from the next new generation of social media players. I am very impressed with how CEO Ben Silberman has conducted himself. Very non promotional, very kind, very professional, and even more impressed at the numbers that his team has been able to deliver. <laughs> Yet yeah, in the past couple of weeks, we've witnessed a rotation out of just like this kind of stock, high-flying growth, uh, and the move has crushed the stock of Pinterest. Even though the company reported a spectacular blowout quarter at the beginning of August, which catapulted the stock from 28 to 36 over the next few weeks, it's now erased the vast bulk of those gains through no fault of its own. Yet yeah, Pinterest backed to 29 bucks. So you're practically getting that quarter that was so good for free. 29 and change, calling it a steal. What makes this thing so compelling? For those of you who don't use it, Pinterest is part social network, part catalog of ideas. The company builds itself as a virtual discovery engine. It helps you find images of things that you're interested in. Now they have so much data, they can direct you to new things that they know that you'll be interested in. Somehow Pinterest managed to retain this identity as a, po- a haven of positivity. The only one I know that is still extant in the Internet People love the view to share their vision boards. Uh, but from a business perspective, the key here is that the users or pinners, as they're often known, share photos and videos of stuff they want to buy, especially things they want that they can't identify to a search engine because they don't know what it's called. And that's what Pinterest means by what's called visual discovery engine. It's got a visual discovery engine. Uh, if you can imagine, this is kind of a nirvana for advertisers. Now, as much as I like the story, it hasn't exactly been smooth sailing since the IPO. Initially, Pinterest surged higher right out of the gate, coming public at ninety and closing its first day at 2440, before eventually climbing to the mid-30s a few weeks later. But then Pinterest reported, while the headline numbers were modestly better than expected, management freaked people out by forecasting a much larger-than-anticipated loss for the full year. While the stock got slammed, the very next day we spoke to CEO Ben Silverman and he explained that Pinterest needs to spend that money because they're in growth mode and the opportunities are too enticed to pass up. I've been a big believer in the story ever since then. However, the rest of the industry didn't seem to catch on until August 1st when Pinterest delivered a truly phenomenal quarter. Much better than expected sales. Up 62% year over year. That's really great, guys. The earnings for interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization came in at negative 26 million, but the street was expecting a $37 million loss. So again, sharply better than expected. The real highlights, though, were the operating results. Pinterest had 300 million global monthly average users. That's up 30% year-over-year. Nothing shabby there. Nearly $10 million more than the analysts were looking for. Their global average revenue per user came in at $0.88, cents, when the street only wanted uh, $0.80. Cents. Pinterest keeps improving their platform, which draws more and more people in. It's increasingly personalized, increasingly shoppable, more shoppable, definitely. Best of all, management raised their full-year forecast, the thing that caused the stock to sell off way back in May. What's driving the strength? On the conference call, CFO Todd Morganfeld, um, this guy's a smart, he, he's so smart when we met with him. And he explained that well, uh, that they're getting, and I quote, more share of, of wallet with our incumbent large advertisers, end quote. Meaning their existing customers are purchasing more ads. They love Pinterest. Now, he also talked about success in some verticals like autos and entertainment. Wow, Toyota's now an advertiser. That's golden. And the company's also gotten more aggressive about selling ads to small and medium-sized businesses with digitally native brands. Like I told you before, the quarter was so incredible that the stock caught fire. It pulled vaulted more than 18% in a single day from $28 to $33 before climbing to 36 over the next few weeks. But then it was struck down by this sell-off in all things growth that I've been talking about and sank back to 29 now, as much as I love Pinterest financials, I don't think they really capture the essence of the story. So let's talk about some squishier, ethereal, more uh, qualitative side of things. First off, I love that Pinterest came right out of the gate doing what I call u I thought they under-promised about what they were going to do and then over-delivered. Even if Magic squares that's not what they were doing. They simply set reasonable expectations and then beat them handily thanks to terrific execution. <laughs> Pinterest has made some great improvements to the platform that have attracted more users and more advertisers. That may not sound so impressive to you, but remember what it was like after Snap, the parent of Snapchat, had its IPO. The stock was untouchable for the better part of two years because it came public with too much hype. And as a result, Snap disappointed quarter after quarter. And much much of it was self-inflicted. Second, the user base. For many more mature social media platforms the monthly average user figures, they've always started to flatten out or even shrink. That's why other platforms have focused on trying to juice their average revenue uh, per user, uh, because without more eyeballs visiting their their sites, well, that's the only way they can grow. We call it vanity. It's vanity page views, not Pinterest, though. Both their monthly average users and their average revenue per user grew by roughly 30 percent. Best of both words. Plus, they barely began to monetize their international business. And I think it's going to be great over there. Tons of room for growth. Third, Pinterest has an incredible value proposition for advertisers. You know, their users often want to know. Uh, they go there to buy something, but they don't actually know what that something is specifically. That's exactly what advertisers want. Impressionable minds that are willing to spend money, that are searching for something that they might have. Finally, it's just a nice place to be. It is. It's, it's sweet. When you look at the rest of social media, it's like a toxic waste site. I mean, do not read my Twitter file. I, I, you, it's nightmarish. I, why do I do it? Well, it's because I'm, you know, a glutton for punishment. And I'm, I gotta stop doing it. Anyway, you wouldn't believe the level of vitriol I was exposed to just yesterday when Senator Elizabeth Warren retweeted that video of me saying that corporate executives are afraid of her. Uh, I don't know why these people were so angry. I mean, holding big businesses' feet to the fire fires, well, that, that's Warren's whole brand. Honestly, I can't think of a better campaign ad for Warren than me and David Faber saying CEOs are afraid of her. No wonder she endorsed it. But here's my point. See, Pinterest doesn't have anything like that. It's clean. It's, 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 it's embracing. It's just people sharing images and videos of what they love. No wonder it's doing so well, although in pure candor, I do wish they would send out fewer emails. Jeez. Bottom line, I think Pinterest is dominating the new, kinder, gentler wave of social media companies. Just what the advertisers want. And I'd be a buyer of the stock down here after the big pullback over the past couple of weeks. Just be aware. The lockup on insider selling expires a little over a month from now, and that often triggers a lot of selling. So maybe you want to get, get another chance to buy some here on weakness, put on part of your position, and then wait before buying more. But Pinterest, people, is the real deal. And, of course, I welcome Ben Silberman back on the show anytime. Timothy in Texas. Timothy.
1: Yes. I'm a long-term investor in CHAG,
2: and it's gone down. I've had it for multiple years. And now it's gone down a third in the last 10 days. I've taken out a third of my current position. So I'm already in profit. All that's left is profit. My question is, should I continue to hold the position or sell out the remaining position? Look, I think you are, are very smart. What you've done is you've taken out some basis. Uh, you've made it so that you're uh, you de-risk the piece, uh, the uh, company a little bit. In the meantime, what can I tell you? I liked Chase last quarter. Dan Rose's wake's doing a good job, but it was part of that overall rotation out of stocks, high multiple stocks, high growth stocks, into lower multiple, low growth. And I think that that has run its course. I want you to keep the rest. All right, there is a lot to like about Pinterest. It's emerging as the winner in a new generation of social media companies. It's a haven of positivity. And maybe best of all, the stock has become cheap versus where it was. I'd be a buyer. Much more mad money had a couple of weeks ago worries about a potential recession. Maybe retail stocks stuff don't. But with positive chatter from trade talks, some of the down and outers are starting to go up. Is it time to circle back for some retail stocks left for dead? Are there some sweet pickings? I'm going to give you my take. Then, I'm giving you my take on Square. And it's fair. And you guessed it. Square. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. weeks ago, everybody was freaking out about a possible recession. And most retail stocks have become pretty tough to own. If you weren't in the online club or the off-price club, well, then you got clubbed. Now that we're hearing positive chatter from the trade negotiations with China, we've got a lukewarm labor report that gives the Federal Reserve a great reason to cut, keep cutting interest rates, uh, even maybe a Bonehead Fed Chair would do that. And long-term Treasury yields are soaring. Remember, the action in the bond market is what freaked everyone out in the first place because we were told it signaled a recession. That signal is being rolled back to the point where the market's trading like an acceleration is more likely than a slowdown. That's why the left-for-dead retail stocks have been making a stunning comeback here. Suddenly, this group seems to be back in style. So is it time to start piling into the more troubled retailers? Not so fast. See, you have to be very careful here because a lot of what's been hurting the smaller fish in the retail bond predates the worries about a trade war-induced slowdown. The death of the mall was a cliche long before President Trump started slapping tariffs on Chinese imports. Think about this. So far in 2019, we've had more than a dozen retailer bankruptcies. Some of these were companies that filed for bankruptcy before, only to see the new incarnations fail, like Jim Payless Shoe Source. They both plan to close nearly all of their stores. We've had a couple of makeup stores go under, beauty brands, full beauty brands. We've had Shopko, Diesel USA, even a big Italian luxury brand like Roberto Cavalli is shuttering its North American subsidiary. Those were clustered near the beginning of the year. Then we got a bit of a break. But now the bankruptcies are coming back. Perkins and Marie Calendar's Holding, which owns a pair of casual dining chains, filed for bankruptcy a month ago. The next day, Barney's New York, a really high-end department store, filed for Chapter 11, and management said they're putting the business up for sale. Now we hear that Forever 21, the fast-forward chain with over 700 stores, is preparing for bankruptcy perhaps as soon as Sunday, according to the Wall Street Journal. Thank goodness that one never came public. And all of that's just from 2019. If you go back a little further, you can add Sears Toys R Us, The Limited, Route 21, true, uh, true Religion. Wow. Plus, there are plenty of major chains that are in rough shape, even if they're not in full existential crisis mode. Privately held Neiman Marcus seems like an obvious candidate for bankruptcy. It might be the best way for them to clean up a debt-laden balance sheet. Crew's another one that's weighed down by debt because it was taken private and leveraged buyout back in 2011. Now that longtime CEO Mickey Drexler is retired and his successor followed him out not long after, the preppy apparel chain, well, let's just say it's struggling. On top of that, we've got some extremely troubled retailers with stocks that have been hit so hard. And by the way, these are household names, but they've become too small for me to talk about on air, even though they are iconic. And if you walk through most malls, you'll see them. Between e-commerce and competition from discount chains with much lower price points, many of these merchants are being eaten alive. So you have to be selective when you're picking at retail names. And there's one thing in particular I want you to watch out for. It's a thesis that I'm developing here. As I looked over that list of bankruptcies, you know what many of these destitute retailers had in common? They were taken private by private equity firms via leveraged buyouts in the not-too-distant past. In an LBO, you borrow against the value of the business you're buying. Then you stick that business with debt and take it public again a few years later, often as a riskier version of its own former self. There's a reason these LBO guys used to be known as corporate raiders. Now, sometimes this process can work out and work out well for everybody involved. If the private equity owners get serious about improving the companies they buy, the increased cash flow can more than offset the additional debt load. Two great examples. Dollar general. And Burlington stores. They've been terrific performers since their private equity backed IPOs in 2009 and 2013, respectively. You know that Burlington had that great quarter just last week. But often, companies in this situation struggle to cope with the leverage buyout hangovers and end up collapsing under their own weight. This is a difficult environment for old school brick and mortar retailers. They need to spend heavily if they want to compete online, yet it's very hard to do that when your balance sheet's buried under a mountain of debt put on by leverage buyout artists. That's why I think these private equity backed retailers are the most precarious. Players in the industry. They're the canaries in the brick and mortar coal mine. They're the ones I don't want you to try. Listen to this. According to Retail Dive, an online trade publication for the industry, nearly 16% of the major retailers acquired by private equity firms since 2002 have filed for Chapter 11. More than half those bankruptcies came in just the last two years. On top of that, of the 14 largest retail bankruptcies since 2012, 10 of them were backed by private equity. 10 out of 14. So I think we've got to be really extra cautious about this particular subset of retail. And there are two stocks in particular that I am worried about. One got a reprieve last week, but I don't want you to be sucked in here. I'm worried about Michael, symbol M-I-K, and Party City, symbol P-R-T-Y. Michael's is the largest arts and crafts specialty chain in North America, at least by store count. It's a great store. I love going there. It's a great place to buy stuff for your kids if they are artistically oriented. But in 2006, Michaels was taken private by a very good firm, two good firms, Bain Capital and Blackstone Group. Then they sat on it for several years while the market languished during the Great Recession before taking the company public again in 2014. And at first, the stock was a strong performer. As recently as last year, Michaels was being hailed as a, quote, P.E.-backed retail deal that didn't end in disaster, end quote. Well, somebody forgot to knock wood because since then, the stock's become a disaster. Why? (laughs) I mean, look why? Oh, because they reported a series of very weak quarters. Uh, it, it, some of them were in, like we give them, call them, in line, and truly abysmal guidance. Then the company delivers a better than in favor result a week ago, and the stock's off to the races, shooting from 5 to 10 bucks in a matter of days. number's okay, but not 80% in a single week, okay? Michael said 0.3% same-store sales growth, for heaven's sake. I think the recent run here is all about a short squeeze, which is why I don't trust the bounce. And I actually think you're getting an opportunity to get out higher than you would otherwise. Hey, how about this Party City? The big party supplies and Halloween chain were coming in, by the way, to their sweet spot of Halloween. In 2012, a giant private equity firm, again, a good firm, Thomas H. Lee Partners, bought a majority stake in Party City. Then in 2015, they took the company public. We warn you, really, I mean, to stay away from this one, practically for the moment it came public. At the time, the stock was in the low 20s. Now it's a six bucks and change. But even for a long-time loser, Party City has been eviscerated this year. (laughs) They're all the same chart, aren't they? Uh, And that was thanks to a series of uninspiring, downright, dismal quarters. When they reported last month, the company posted some atrocious results, and they slashed the full-year forecast. That one really hurt. Stock plummeted from six to four. That's a big decline. But in the past few weeks, it's erased that entire decline as the whole cyclical cohort has gotten its mojo back. The stocks, not the companies. I say do not be fooled. Michaels is a $1.5 billion company with $2.7 billion in debt and just $131 million in cash and cash equivalents right now. Meanwhile, their free cash flow keeps falling down 24 percent last year, on top of a 12 percent decline in 2017. Party City's just a $600 million company, but has nearly $2 billion in debt. Compared to just 47 million in cash. And their cash flow numbers are even worse. They more than 91% last year. No, thank you. The bottom line: we've seen so many down and out retail stocks come roaring back lately. Hey, look, Macy's was up. You know, Macy's been down a lot. But don't be misled. Some of these companies have serious problems that a stronger economy just won't fix. Especially the private equity-backed retailers that are still weighed down with massive debt loads, like Michaels and Party City. I say, don't buy, don't buy. And don't if you buy. own them, sell, 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 sell. Get sell. Bunny's back after the break. It is time. It's time for the light rookie. Let's have rounds one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Let's go! Are you ready, Ski Daddy? It's time for the 90 round cover. I might go start with John in California. John.
1: Oh, Jim, out here in California, you know we love you. I haven't talked to you in a while.
2: Well, I mean, I'm still I remember I don't live in to B anymore. That's the problem.
1: <laughs> anyway, Jim, I called you six months ago about pilgrim's pride. And me and the caveman got involved with that and you said you liked it and we made fifty percent.
2: John, we're not done, because millennials love, love, love protein, and this is the natural play, and it doesn't have that, yeah, kind of a nasty uh, commodity aspect that Tyson has, so I want you to stick with it, and I always thank you for your calls. Hey, let's go to George in New York. George. Hey, Mr. Kramer. How are you, sir? I'm good, George. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So I'm a junior studying finance here at Penn State University. I've been watching your show for years. Thank you for all the advice and knowledge you've shared. Thank you for uh, Miles Sanders, and thank you for Jeff Marks. Go ahead. (laughs) Of course. My question is regarding Sarepta Therapeutics. They've had a lot of uncertainty regarding FDA regulations last month, and it doesn't look so good. Uh, Where do you see the stock going next? I don't know, George. I mean, this is kind of like one of those you tell me. You've read the same stories I did. They didn't read well, and it made me feel like they perhaps got to stay away from Sarepta, and that's the position I've adopted. Let's go to Galen in Illinois. Galen. Hey, Jim. Big, big booyah to you, brother. How you doing? I'm doing fine. How about you? I'm doing great. Hey, I got a question for you. I got a couple questions, actually, if you got time. Yeah, um, sure. What the hell? Hanging around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, um, I'm invested in MGP ingredients. Um, they reported earnings took a pretty good hit. I listened to conference call. Okay. They've been taking other hits during this Market wide sell-off. Should I put some new money to work in this? Well, I mean, what's our edge here in this refining food thing? I just don't. You know, it, it's not my you know ingredients distillery. I actually want to talk about this with Brian Sullivan. I, I just don't find an edge to MGP. I'm going to have to take a pass on it. I don't think you should go there. Let's let's go to Logan in Arizona. Logan, booyah, Jim, first time caller here. Okay, How are you? okay. I want to get your thoughts on Rio Tinto Group? I kind of like Rio Tinto as a play on acceleration of worldwide growth. I think it's going to have a Logan's run. <laughs> Yeah, I think that Rio's good and it's got a good yield, and I think you can afford it. Let's go to Steve in Florida. Steve Marino. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Speak from to Humano me. Beach. Speak to me. Uh, Occidental Petroleum. Too hard for this guy. I, they paid too much for Anna Darko. And boy, am I glad because my channel trust to own it. And ka-ching, ka-ching. And that leads up to the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
1: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
2: Here's a query. What's the difference between a broken stock and a broken company? Broken stocks are easy to fix. They often bounce back on their own, which is why they can make such compelling buying opportunities. But broken companies? Nope. They take forever to turn, and in the meantime, their stocks tend to be very hazardous to your wealth. Right now, we've got a bunch of busted growth names, So I want you to be able to distinguish between the buyable broken stocks and the uninvestable broken companies, two very different things. So let me give you a textbook example. I want you to look at Square, SQ, the rapidly growing payment technology company that's been a long-time cramer of faith. For years, this stock was one of the best performers around. Sure, it got hit hard during the massive market-wide meltdown at the end of 2018, but then it came roaring right back. As recently as August 1st, Square was trading at $83. That's up nearly 50% for 2019. But then it crashed headfirst into a retaining wall after reporting a quarter that Wall Street wasn't really exactly thrilled with. The stock plunged to $69 the next day. And you know what? Well, as you can see, it's been sinking ever since, down to $59 as of today. Suddenly, this former market darling, it has become a complete battleground stock. So, I mean, you know, I sit here and I look at it and I do have, you know, I have remonstrations and ruminations then, of course, I should have told you to take some profits there. And I didn't. Uh, it's my bad. But as much as I like to pretend this breakdown never happened, we have to address it head on because this show is all about accountability. Plus, more importantly, we need to figure out whether Square is an enticing broken stock or a repulsive broken company. So let's set the scene. Now, two months ago, Square seemed like a powerhouse. They built a huge payments network, and thanks to their little... The little credit card readers, you see them, like the little white things, okay? Uh, you plug them into your smartphone and it turns you into a point of sale terminal. Even better, because Square is a great read on how much money its clients are making, after all, they're basically running the cash register. The company's got a rapidly growing money lending operation, Square Capital. No bank has that kind of insight into the borrowers. And since Square controls the payment system, if you borrow from them, they can just take the interest payments right out of your receipts. Now, until very recently, the financial tech companies. Well, their stocks were red hot because hedge funds were worried about an economic slowdown. These portfolio managers need to have some financial exposure because the sector is such a huge part of the S&P. But the banks tend to perform badly in a recession, so they swap into the red hot fintech stocks. Ah. They swap into Square. (laughs) However, over the past couple of weeks, the recession fears have subsided. You saw that with interest rates going higher. And so, therefore, fintech, it's gone out of style. But Square was getting hammered long before the rotation was going on. So what's driving the weakness? Okay, I think that this is a management issue, but it's really a cosmetic management issue, so don't get scared. Square's always had an unorthodox CEO, Jack Dorsey. He also happens to be the CEO of Twitter. Now, I used to joke that he was a part-time chief executive. And you know why? And you know what? It didn't matter. Not as long as Square had a fantastic chief financial officer, Sarah Fryer. Hey, you might have seen her on Scott Wapner show the other day. She was fabulous. And, well, Sarah was keeping her eye on the prize. Dorsey hired her away from Goldman Sachs in 2012, and I still think that may have been the best match decision he's ever made. She was just that good, and is that good, going next door, though, because uh, she left Square, and uh, you know what? Here we go. Eleven months ago, we don't really have anyone that's standing out as taking that company over, which I think is a lot of the reason why you're seeing this, Okay. Uh, the stock did get eviscerated when Sarah left. Uh, Wall Street trusted her, and that's what mattered because she had a very clear head. She'd been a brilliant person at, at Goldman. No, da- no, I don't want really put any disrespect to her successor, Amrita Ahuja, who came f- over from actor, Active Vision Blizzard. But analysts and institutional investors have become a lot more skeptical since Fryer left. I, I actually opined that I didn't. I thought they would have enough bench strength, and that's where I really got it wrong, or at least the way the stock market got it wrong. Since then, every time Square is reported, they deliver solid headline numbers before giving confusing or even disheartening guidance. That's what happened in late February. And while the stock's initial reaction was erratic, the darn thing spent the next three months steadily sliding lower. Fast forward to the next earnings report in May, and once again, Square tripped over its own feet. While the company posted a nice top and bottom line beat, they only reaffirmed their forecast rather than raising it. That's what you need, need to your stock to go higher. And the guidance for the next quarter was weaker than expected. And that's why the stock spent the next month steadily sliding lower before bottoming $60 in early June, roughly the level where it's trading now. But over the course of June and July, Square surged higher, back above $80 on very little news. Uh, you had some positive analyst chat, and of course, you had that fintech bull market I just mentioned. It felt like maybe, just maybe Square was out of the woods. Then the company reported it to the close on August 1st, and you know what? That is when the wheels fell off this bus. This time we saw the same darn pattern, better than expected earnings, better than expected sales, but they left the full year forecast unchanged and then gave conservative guidance for the next quarter. Literally the same thing that happened in May, except with stronger headline numbers. On top of that, Square told us they'd be getting out of the food delivery business. Management selling their delivery service, Caviar, to DoorDash for $410 million. Now, I think they got a fabulous price. Kind of unbelievable. And I'd say that as a Caviar client at both my Brooklyn Tavern Bar, San Miguel, and our restaurant, The Longshoreman. Believe me, you don't want to be in the online delivery business margins are cutthroat. But this time, Wall Street finally ran out of patience with Square. Money managers were sick and tired of good quarters and then conservative guidance, which is why the stock dropped 14% the next day and just kept falling. And that's how it's broken down to below 60. Plus, it hasn't helped that the turbocharged growth names like Square, they've gone out of style now that investors are rotating into the more economically uh, sensitive stocks that will really benefit from more rate cuts, although today was a bit of a respite from that. So what the heck are we supposed to do with this thing? With this one-time market darling? What goes on now? All right, last Tuesday, three different analysts published some seriously contrasting opinions on Square. I always like to canvass the analysts to get a sense of what the bulls and bears are thinking. On the bear side, Atlantic Equities initiated coverage on Square with an underweight or sell. $55 $55 price target. This is part of a broader note on the fintech space where they see Square as one of the least attractive players because its core business they think is decelerating. While the company's trying to expand its consumer payments with its Cash App, something I really like, the guys at Atlantic, well, they just think the future's uncertain uh, for that business, which they think is full of strong competitors like, yes, Venmo, remember PayPal? On the bull side, though, Square caught a pair of upgrades, one from Moffitt Nathanson and then the other from Suntress. Lisa Ellis at Moffitt Nathanson. A brilliant analyst gave it a buy recommendation, $85 price target. She argues that the stock has gotten too cheap. She likes the Strength in Cash app, yes, and she agrees with me about selling caviar. Bye-bye. How about SunTrust buy recommendation with $80 price target? They see Square investing heavily to take share in larger, more complex retailers and restaurants, not their current bread and butter, and they view the caviar sale as the first step in this repositioning. That would only be just okay. People don't like to hear spend, spend, spend. Where do I come out? I agree with Lisa Ellis from Moffat Nathanson Square used to be extremely expensive stock. but Now it sells for 8.3 times next year's sales and 53 times next year's earnings estimates. I know, I know, I know. I hear you. Yes, that is high, 8 times sales. But listen, given that the company has a 46% long-term growth rate, I'm calling it reasonable relative to its growth rate. Is the bottom line. Square's fundamentals are sound. It is sound. I know this. Uh, it's not a broken stock. I mean, let me... Let me clarify that. The stock is broken right here, but it's not a broken company, Uh, which means you can absolutely buy this one. And I've got to tell you, I think you can buy it now. Worst case, it goes down some more, and the stock gets even cheaper. I just wish the new CFO could tell the story as well as Sarah Fryer used to. If they did, because the company isn't broken, just the stock, it would be a heck of a lot higher. Stick with Kramer. Pickens, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you so much, sir. Thanks, Jim. Have Thank a nice seat. You. Have a seat. But look at that. American flag. American flag. Okay, this is all about America. Yes, it is. is. Yeah, the oil industry's done a fabulous job of helping us get out of the OPEC trap. <laughs> it is our problem, and we need to you know, understand resources in America are abundant. All we have to do is have a plan. We have no plan. We've never had an energy plan in America. We're the only country in the world without a plan. We lost a great one today, Boone Pickens, and it makes me smile. When I watched that it was eight years ago. You know what, Boone? We actually didn't need a plan. It just happened because of people like you, people who decided, you know what, I'm going to invest in America, I'm going to create something, and I'm going to make it so we are energy independent. Who would have thought that? But that man had a vision back in 2011, and it all panned out, and it panned out within his lifetime, a lifetime where he gave a fortune to his alma mater, Oklahoma State, and taught people like me in generations. Be optimistic about what we have here in terms of our natural resources. They're going to surprise you. I never stop learning from Boone Pickens. He's just a great man, a great guy, and he loved loved the show. And boy, did I ever love him. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow.
1: If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay